Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey there, welcome to this part two edition of The Shaleen Show, all about fasting, the ketogenic diet, and exogenous ketones. This is a two-parter, so if you haven't already listened to part one, please be sure to go back to your podcasting app and download part one. It'll really make this episode, part two, make that much more sense. Welcome to The Shaleen Show. Shaleen is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. In this series, I told you I would talk about fasting, how to prepare for a fast, intermittent fasting, the ketogenic diet, and exogenous ketones. By listening to this two-part series, you should be able to answer for yourself why you would want to consider doing a fast. Number two, how to prepare for a fast, or at least what you would need to know in order to be prepared, which is, again, it's something that we go into great detail because it's different for every person, but it's something we cover in depth inside the 131. Number three thing that you'll understand is that there's many different ways to support a fast, which means that there's many different types of fast. There's intermittent fasting, there's water fasting, dry fasting, supported fasting, a bone broth fast. There's a, a lot of different types of fast. Your goal for the fast in great part determines what type of fast you should do, as does your current metabolic flexibility, as does many other particulars that are specific to you. And the fourth thing you'll come to understand after listening to this episode, part two, is some tips and tricks on how to succeed at a fast. And lastly, number five, the significance or importance of refueling. In part one, I established why it was I wanted to fast and why over this particular period of time. I also covered for you in pretty great detail how I prepared for it. That's where things left off and that's where we'll pick up now. All right, let's get started. So we left off in episode part one, talking about how I prepared myself to be ready to fast and the importance and significance of, number one, knowing why you would want to fast. Number two, understanding what happens to the body, how to handle it in terms of your preparation before you begin a fast, and just really being clear on why you're fasting. Because If you can answer the question as to why you're fasting, that will help you to determine what type of fast you should do. As I mentioned in part one, my objective has always been to phase my diet. And part of phasing my diet is improving my metabolic flexibility, meaning teaching my metabolism what to do with carbs and what to do with fat, and that I can go in and out of a macronutrient ratio where I don't have to like count every single macro and stay forever in this like super low carb, high fat diet. Like I can eat like a normal person. But, you know, we've done so much metabolic damage by trying to eat low fat, by following these diets, by exercising ourselves into the ground that you almost have to start from ground zero. And that's what we teach people how to do 
when they follow the one three one method. Like you learn how to kind of reverse the damage that you've done and start as an inflexible metabolism, which is what most of us have, a very inflexible metabolism where you can look at something that's a piece of cake or a piece of bread and you gain weight, you puff up like the Michelin man. That's not how it's supposed to be. And we have to retrain our metabolic system to just be able to eat normal food and live your life and and live a happier, longer, fuller life. For me, the reason why I wanted to time this particular fast around the time that I did is because I had a very significant four-day live event. We have nearly a 1,000 people in attendance this year. I think we had five or six guest speakers. We had a 200-person VIP group that meant we needed to meet, Brett and I would meet with them every day before the event even started, go over Q&A. We met with them during lunchtime, would again do Q&As. Uh, we did an evening party with them. So even before and after the day was complete, it still meant I had to be incredibly focused and high energy. Typically when I'm doing an event like this, I'm just a mess. I mean, I'm really prepared for it, well prepared for it long before the event goes off. But when I say I'm a mess, I mean like my head hurts. There's so many details that I think about and want to make sure get covered. And it's literally four days of script, you know, and and that isn't something I can read off of a teleprompter. I've got to memorize it. I have to know what I'm talking about inside and out. I need to know how I'm going to introduce each and every expert. I need to know what it is they're going to be covering and how they're going to deliver it and how people are going to be able to implement. And I've got to be able to be in tune enough with the audience to shift and change agendas on a dime because it seems as though the audience isn't picking it up or they are picking it up or they're going quicker than what I thought. Like, I really have to be on my game. And I know that. And it's physically and mentally demanding, exhausting. I just expect when I do an event like this, I'm usually going to have a excruciating headache, kind of a, a mental fatigue headache around 3 p.m., if not earlier most days. And despite as I as hard as I try to go to sleep at a normal time and be rested and really alert and awake for this event, without fail, I would lay down and not be able to sleep. I would just be thinking of everything I went over that day and the next day's agenda. So I was like, you know, I've done this now, I don't know how many years and had that experience. Why don't I try something different? And I began thinking back to the brain-derived neurotropic factor, the human growth factor that's produced in the brain during nutritional ketosis, during fasting ketosis. And everything I've learned about inflammation and alertness and the way the brain functions and the way the brain uses energy. And so I decided, wow, why don't I use what I know about the brain and get myself into the state for this event? Now, the previous time I had, I've done, let's see, this would have been my fifth fast. First fast, complete disaster. I'm surprised I even did another one. In fact, I recently found, I should play it. I recently found the audio recordings I created while I did my first three-day supported fast, and you would think I was dying. And I probably was because I didn't know how to prepare myself for it. I didn't know how to prepare my metabolism and adjust my hormones accordingly. So it was flat out miserable. Like if you listen to these recordings, you think I was on my deathbed, and I kind of was. It was not a healthy way to do it. I just didn't know enough about preparation and why I was doing it, et cetera. 
But each time I've since then done a fast, and of course, with the help of my research team in developing the methodology, the one through one methodology and teaching not only myself, but now almost 50,000 people have gone through this process where they learn how to prepare their bodies and how to reduce the hormones that they need to reduce and increase the ones that they need to increase and really take full advantage of all of the benefits of doing a fast. So the second fast was much better. Third fast, I was like, wow, this is like a high. I can't believe how good I feel, how how much I got done. It was unbelievable. Fourth fast, also an incredible experience. This was my fifth and my longest fast, and I've never done a fast where the stakes were pretty high, where it was really imperative that I be 110% or more mentally. And this just seemed like the perfect opportunity because here's the bottom line. I knew enough about having done this and how I felt that if for any reason I didn't feel like it was going really well and in my favor, if for any reason I felt it wasn't advantageous, I had a backup plan. I brought food. And guess what? I didn't have to eat it. I didn't need to eat it. I didn't want to eat it. This was the most amazing MIA, Marketing Impact Academy, live event for me personally that I've ever been able to put on. Because I believe because of the nutritional fasting or the fasting ketosis that I was able to put myself into that state, I had insane energy. My joints didn't hurt. I felt high energy. My brain felt so clear. I was never nervous, not once, in front of a thousand people, not anxious, zero headaches, no mental fatigue. Typically, when I finish an event like this, I am so mentally and physically spent that we schedule on our calendar about three days of complete inactivity, one day of which I have to be completely by myself, like I can't even be by other people because I have to recharge. I physically and mentally feel drained, spent, empty. Well, we finished our last day of the Marketing Impact Academy, and as we were driving home, I looked over to Brett. I said, I feel amazing. Let's have company over tonight. That's a shocker. And it was because I felt so good. Now, as I mentioned, your success on a fast is determined by the type of fast that you do. And the type of fast that you do should be determined by lots of different factors, where you are in terms of your metabolic flexibility, and of course, your objective for fasting. Based on those factors, you can put together a plan to support your fast. What I mean by how to support your fast is really how to design your fast. For me, because the objective of my fasting was, of course, just to feel great, to have high energy, but to really have that sustainable mental energy that I was looking for, that meant that I wasn't going after autophagy or autophagy, if you will. My objective was that just that feeling in my brain when I'm super duper focused and I've got lots of energy and I can sleep well, that was my objective. So I designed my fast to include support with bone broth, fat burning coffee. In other words, that is coffee that's mixed with what's considered an exogenous ketone. That is MCT oil. Now, a lot of people don't realize that MCT oil is in fact one of those things that falls under the category of exogenous ketones. Now, Let's talk about exogenous ketones for a moment. So just to bring you up to date, you know from listening to part one that your body can either use glucose or glycogen or in the Krebs cycle, you can flip your metabolic process to use primarily ketones 
as a source of energy. In other words, fat. Ketones are the compounds that are created or produced with the metabolism of fat. In other words, ketones are the water-soluble molecules, if you will, including beta-hydroxybutyrate that's produced by the liver from the fatty acids that our body takes when there is no glucose or very limited glucose available on hand. In other words, what we're doing is using stored fat, stored body fat, metabolizing it, and then the compound that's produced, those ketones, that's what's fueling our body. MCT oil is like taking a shot of a healthy fat, and it has been known to affect slightly the blood levels of ketones. Not dramatically, just slightly. And MCT oil, as you know, is pretty calorically dense. And so anytime you're consuming calories, you have to consider that what we know right now, any calories you consume while fasting have the potential to spike insulin levels, which is then again going to take you out of that state of ketosis. It could potentially. So there's lots and lots of people who debate like, is it okay to have fat burning coffee or some people call it bulletproof coffee or whatever version you make at home? Is it okay to have that while you're fasting? And there are people who are very militant about their stance, which can I just say is so ludicrous. How can you be militant about a stance of what's right or wrong when you don't know the answers to why is someone fasting? What's their objective? how all these things we've already talked about in this episode. So can I just state for the record that when someone is a know-it-all, it it usually comes from a place of ignorance. You know, the more someone acts like a know-it-all, the more likely it is that they don't know it all. So they're going to bark a little bit louder. But the bottom line is this, however you want to support your fast is up to you. Just evaluate and understand as much as you deserve to know about your body and the way your body works and human biology in general, but also know that yours is different from even people in your own family. So anyways, an MCT oil is considered an exogenous ketone, a very mild exogenous ketone, and it's an oil, right? So a lot of people have digestive responses when they're putting oil in their coffee. I supported my fast by putting a little bit of MCT oil in my coffee, which I freaking love. I don't know if it helps my ketone levels, but it's delicious. It helps me look forward to something because there's a big part of fasting. Like I was never hungry during my fast, but I still wanted to eat. Does that make sense? Because that's a habit, like that soothing of yourself, that having something to look forward to, that doesn't necessarily go away. It lessens each time I try a fast, but having something to look forward to, like a cup of fat-burning coffee, was part of what got me through. While on the topic of exogenous ketones, as you know, the ketogenic diet has become incredibly fad-worthy. Like It's been around forever, but now everyone's talking keto when 15 years ago, everyone was talking about Atkins. Either way, because of that craze, there's also been just a resurgence of exogenous ketones. Now, ketones we produce in our body naturally. Exogenous ketones, that word, repeat after me, exogenous ketones. Those are man-made ketones. In other words, they're produced in a factory, if you will. They're processed. So that in and of itself should tell you one thing, right? Like, okay, so your body already produces these. Do we need to take something that our body already produces. Do you need to? No. Might it be helpful? Sure. Your body's also supposed to produce vitamin D, but if it's not producing enough, you might need to supplement. Your body also produces energy. 
but we still drink coffee every day. So you can land on either side of the argument when it comes to exogenous ketones. I'll share with you my personal opinion. My personal opinion is this. If I can get my body to do it for me, I don't want to take a pill or a supplement or anything else unless I have to, right? Unless I really need it, but I don't want to become reliant on it. I don't want to be reliant on caffeine. I don't want to be reliant on vitamin supplements or exogenous ketones or, you know, drinking a replacement shake. I want to be able to use my food as fuel. That's ultimately my goal. Nonetheless, there's been many occasions where I have to supplement with vitamins or nutrients. And I think for many people, when they're First, fasting, I wish I had known a little bit more about exogenous ketones because I think it would have made it easier. You know, I'm not going to take them indefinitely, but gosh, those first couple of days of a fast while you're truly getting into ketosis, while there's still glucose on board, while there's still glucose on board, right? That means your body hasn't completely switched over yet. Your hunger hormones are going to be pretty high. But if there's a enough ketone bodies in your body, you're going to feel a diminished sense of hunger. You'll feel an increased sense of energy, etc. So could exogenous ketones, and there's many on the market, be a great way for you to supplement? Sure. Am I in favor of that? It depends. That's my answer. It depends. Now know this, as with any supplement, whether it's MCT oils or vitamin D or magnesium or exogenous ketones, the company behind the production of that supplement needs to have great integrity. In fact, one of the leading researchers, a NASA researcher who's been interviewed on several occasions and his content, you know, the deep dive interviews with him and the research that he's conducted can all be found inside the 131 program, which by the way, if you'd like to find out more, you can go to 131movement.com. And that professor, that um, researcher is Dr. Dom Diagostino. One of the questions I wanted to know from him when I interviewed him was, how do you know? How do you know if one of these products on the market, whether it's being sold by a network marketing organization or your your integrative healthcare doctor or on Amazon, how do you know which ones are good and what should we be looking for? And here's what he said. I do think it's important from the data, if you go to the peer review data, and just from a theoretical standpoint, the ketone supplement, which usually comes in the form of beta-hydroxybutyrate, and if you're going to buy the ketone salt products, which are the ones that are commercially available now, ketone esters are right now in the realm of, of therapeutics and maybe military applications as of right now, and eventually they'll probably be on the market. But the ketone salt products are an effective way to get your body into nutritional ketosis or you know supplemental ketosis. And the products that incorporate beta-hydroxybutyrate as a salt, which you can combine beta-hydroxybutyrate with sodium, potassium, magnesium, and these things, uh, you'll see that on the label. And I would kind of seek out a brand that tells you exactly how much beta-hydroxybutyrate is in there because there's something called fairy dusting so that, that a lot of companies do. They will put it on the label. You know, there's a couple companies out there that are, you know, they put it on the label to look good. But I will just tell people to look at the label to determine how much beta-hydroxybutyrate is in there. You really need gram amounts. What are the grams that we should be looking for? So it really needs to be more than five grams. 
Yeah, you really need at least like four or five grams of beta-hydroxybutyrate in the product to get your ketone levels, even to budge, to get your levels elevated, your blood levels elevated to start getting some of these therapeutic benefits that I talk about, like boosting in, in brain energy or reduction in inflammation. We've tested about 10 different products on the market, and it's, it's amazing. Like a lot of people, they kind of don't want to put what's on the label because they do, I guess what you would call, like I mentioned, fairy dusting, right? So they put uh, a little bit on there just so it looks good on the label, and they say, you know, this is a ketone product. And there's a couple like really popular companies that are doing that right now. And I would be, I would just warn people because they're really being ripped off if it doesn't have gram amounts of ketones. So think of it like ketones, it's really an energy source. So you kind of have to consume it in a fairly, you know, legitimate (laughs) dosage to really start getting. If we're taking exogenous ketones and we're supplementing with them, does that diminish our body's ability to make them? And again, as I've said with really smart individuals, I've had the opportunity to interview and spend time with as part of the 131, I find repeatedly a common theme in their answers, and it's this, we just don't know yet. And that's an important mindset to hold on to. We all have to have an open mind and know that more research may force us to look at things differently, but for the time being, here's what we know, and here's what he shared with me. Does consuming exogenous ketones prevent our body from making ketones? There's a study that was done in humans where they did an intravenous bolus of an intravenous dose of high ketones into the blood where it reduced the body's ketone production a little bit. And even I think it elevated insulin just a little bit, but that was relatively high dose from what you would get from a product, for example, that you're consuming by mouth. So we don't have evidence of that, and we haven't seen that in the work that we've done in animal models or in humans, that it blocks their ketone production. So to prevent the possibility of that happening, we and maybe that's why the combination of the ketones, which would be beta-hydroxybutyrate and ketogenic fats, which would be medium-chain triglycerides, which are found in coconut oil and things like that, that when you consume beta-hydroxybutyrate with ketogenic fats, it elevates ketones, but the ketogenic fats, the MCTs, actually further stimulate our body's endogenous ketone production. So the fat goes to the liver and further ramps up and revs up the fat-burning and what we call de novo ketone production in the liver. And I'm more comfortable delivering exogenous ketones if they are delivered with ketogenic fats because that keeps our own endogenous ketone production ramped up. So I don't think, unless they're given intravenously, which is a medical application that they have been used for, unless they're given intravenously at high doses, I don't think they're going to shut down our natural ketone production. And by shutting down, do you think there's a diminished production? It can. So whenever you're consuming a source of calories, right, you know, your liver will adjust accordingly and sense, hey, we're getting a source of energy here. So we will titrate the levels of ketones down to make sure we don't have too much ketones. That's why I love speaking to experts because their reputation is based on the integrity of the knowledge that they share which means any natural bias they have, which we all have because we're human, but the more biased 
a researcher is, the less credible his information. And therefore, it hurts his own reputation. And that's why I love talking to these researchers and doctors, because they're not necessarily trying to push a book or a product. They really have to rely on the credibility of their research. Having said that, how do I recommend others succeed while fasting? Well, I can tell you for myself personally, it's being busy. Every single one of us has experienced one of those days where you're like, holy cow, it's like 3 p.m. and I haven't eaten anything yet today. Now, that doesn't happen very often, but you've had one of those days where you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I'm hungry. Well, imagine if you'd prepared your body in such a way that you weren't experiencing hunger hormones, number one, and number two, you could plan activities so that you were so busy, you didn't have time to experience the number one emotion that causes us or triggers us to eat. And that emotion is boredom. Yep. When we're busy, when our minds are active, we don't often think of food. So my suggestion is to, if you are planning on on following your own fast, or maybe you're part of the 131, make sure you listen to all of those lessons on how to set yourself up for success, the things that you need to plan, how you need to schedule your day, what activities you should consider. And again, information on exercise, because some people will be able to exercise and some will not. You may need to be pretty sedentary during your fast. For me, because of the preparation that went into the time before my fast, because of my previous fast, and because of my established metabolic flexibility, I was able to be very active. In fact, I exercised on the first two days of my fast, and then I was incredibly active the remaining days, on stage all day, dancing, clapping, dance party at night, and doing all of that throughout my fast. It also meant that during the time that I was fasting, because I was doing an event, There was no point at which I was ever like, hmm, I'm kind of bored. What should I go eat? When I'm at home, I will use food as a distraction, like in between recording podcasts. I'll get up and go, huh, all right, well, I'm going to take a little break from podcasting. I wonder what's in the cupboard. We all do that. Like, we're not hungry. And it's emotional eating, even though you might not think of it as emotional eating because you're not like emotional. It's not like you're crying and, you know, upset about something. You're feeling an emotion and that that emotion is either boredom or maybe it's brain fatigue. And so you're feeling something and you want to soothe that often with food. In order to be successful on a fast, you want to schedule as much activity that keeps your mind and your body busy, as busy as possible. And our last and final topic for this two-part series is refueling. Now, what I mean by refueling is rebuilding the most miraculous things are happening to your body on a cellular level when we fast. Not only are you starving down bad bacteria in your gut and stimulating stem cell regeneration, you're also killing off the dead parts with autophagy or autophagy. Here's what Dr. Longo said about refueling and refeeding in a recent interview I conducted with him in his laboratory at the University of Southern California. Of course, the incredible advantage here is that it is it's extremely coordinated because it's something that has really been evolving for billions of years. So, for example, uh, let's say that, let's exaggerate, let's say somebody was to fast for a month, that, that person's liver, after one month of fasting, uh, might be 20, 30, 40% smaller, right? And uh, then that person refeeds, and within a week, that liver 
is going to go back to its normal size or, or close to it. So now, in, in just a week, uh, the body is able to rebuild 40% of the lip. Right? So, and you can see that the power of this and the entire interview with Dr. Longo can be found inside the 131 program. But Dr. Walter Longo has been studying longevity and fasting for more than 25 years. In fact, he's one of the first researchers to conduct fasting research with human participants. And that's a really big deal because until this point, so much of what we knew about fasting was based on animal studies and rodent studies. Honestly, there's so much I could cover on this topic. I feel like this should be an eight-part series. But that's why I created the program, The 131, for people like you who are really fascinated by this stuff. When it comes to your body, your metabolism, and how all of this works, you're past the point of thinking that a, an article in a fitness magazine is going to give you the information that you need, or that if someone sitting next to you in a cubicle tells you the diet that they're on, that you can follow it and expect the same results. Like, it's time that we learn more, and it's time that we understand we're smart enough to figure this stuff out. I mean, there's no difference between you and a researcher and you and a doctor, except that they've really studied this stuff. So why would we think that we can't handle it, especially when the subject matter is so important? You, like the study of one. That's what the 131 is about. Anyways, my experience fasting has been profound, and it's not just me, it's the thousands, tens of thousands of people who are now going through this process the right way, the safe way, a customized way that's individual to them and their needs and where they're at, like just hearing from people and how life-changing it has been is quite remarkable. I invite you to learn more. You can check it out by going to 131movement.com. But in addition to that, if you want to know more about one of the topics I've discussed in this two-part series, please reach out to me. Reach out to me in social media. You know where to find me. I'm Shaleen Official on Snapchat, Shaleen Johnson just about everywhere else. And again, it really does get me pumped up when I read your reviews about a podcast. So even if you've already left a review, if you want to talk to me specifically about an episode, the best place to do that is by writing a review. And that will help other people because they see those most recent reviews. And that's what you're looking at is probably the most recent podcast. They're going to look at your review and see specifically how it might be able to help them. And that's really, it helps me a lot. I really appreciate it. I can tell you that it helps the show. I mean, that's obvious, but it really helps me know what you want to hear next, what you did like, what you didn't like, and how to structure the show. So thank you for taking the time to do that. You can do it directly from your podcasting app. There should be a little link or a button just below the name of my show where it says, write a review. And I appreciate that you've taken the time to do that. It's kind of like a tip jar. That's it for this episode. Don't forget that shows can be found on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm excited about this new schedule and I hope you are too. As long as you're listening, I'll keep producing them because you are thebomb.com. 